Everybody's found their stall, and and uh, there you are. I like this front row of fellas here. They, they always sit so good. You guys are my kind of guys. I tell you what, these are the kind of fellas going to make good being Christian on the front row. And not to wiggle, that's great. I can't sit that still. So you're doing good, fellas. You, you have a good church here. I, I enjoy being here. And uh, my eyes can't quite see the back row. I see about halfway, and I know you're sitting there because I see something moving. But I hope the back row is just as close as the front row when we go to preaching. Because in reality, we're all here. Oh, thank you. We're all here. And I'd like to see if you would really follow through with some of the things I talked about. Uh, I kind of get a little rough at times. My daughter says, you get too rough. I only get rough on the flesh. And it squeals like a hog under a gate. You can tell when you hit the flesh. Your complexion changes. Your feelings changes. Your temperature rises. And you're saying to me, in your, underneath your breast, breath, you say, I don't like that. And I say, I don't care. I'm only here for three days. <laughs> you got it the rest of the time. <laughs> Whatever I stirred up, he'll fix it. You got a good pastor and his wife. And uh, I was here for the school presentation today, and you got some good young people can give speeches. I think that's great. One thing that we Pentecostals have, we have a chance to, to testify, to preach, talk, or whatever you want to call it, and we're not afraid to get up in public like some people are. They say the number one fear is fear of speaking in public. Austin will have no trouble. He doesn't meet a stranger. And he can talk. Brother Garrett, better be careful. He's going to out-talk you. <laughs> I've enjoyed being around him. I could be with him more than I have the girls, but uh, I, I like his energy. I wish I had it. I don't know why we can't get jump cables and pour in some of that. He wastes more than I've got. And so you, you, just, you just can't claim the past. And uh, after you get so old, you got to live with Mother Nature. And I tell you what. She's hard. She has no mercy. I was noticed these young people come to the platform to sing tonight, and you're in the beautiful part of health and strength. Faith is smooth, and you look so clean and upright. And to think you're going to look like your grandma and grandpa before it's over. <laughs> I want you to know God put this thing in bad situations. The older you get, the more you look wrinkled and, and whatever. But let me tell you what, if you think she's so beautiful, sir, look at Grandma. That's what you're going to live with before it's over. If that bothers you, you better get somebody else. <laughs> and lady, let me tell you, I see more women outliving men, and uh, the restaurants are full of the old folks. If you go on any tour, you're going to find out the majority are older people. They got the time and they got the money. That's right. All these restaurants give us discounts. When they first started, I got to that age, I said, forget it. I don't want your discount. But I got to the place, give me the discount. I'm not about to turn it down anymore. <laughs> I feel like that if, I, if they want to give it, I'm here to take it. 
If you go to a restaurant, you'll find most of the people in there are older folks. So young people, if you live long enough, you can be with us. The road's cut out, and you're going to fit it. I have great thrill in working with young people. And I've been here to help these young people to see, and all this first row, and these young children clear back to the back. I got faith in you. These are young men that to me are strong, and I don't want the devil to get them. I don't want the world to get you. I don't want Uncle Sam to get you. I want Jesus to get you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and these young ladies, please, get the right guy. Don't, wear, don't get in love with a goony bird. You need to get in love with dedication and Christian person that you can trust, you can depend on. Because you live in a world today with all kinds of things around you. And anything that a, a wife wants to have in her heart is security that her husband loves her only. Well, praise the Lord. You see, I told you i got to do family stuff. And uh, the reason I do that is because this thing works at home. I hope I made that clear enough to you. There's nothing like having Jesus in your house and talking to him and fellowshipping with him. And also, when you find troubles come, that you can band together and pray one for the other. That's a strength. That really is a strength. And today, you young people did so good in your skits and in your speaking. And uh, I want you to know, you've got some good crop coming on here. An old man one time years ago, back in the old horse and buggy day, put his boy through college. And he was, he and his wife struggled. They never got beyond. He never had a suit, just had overalls on, and, and they were clean, an old blue shirt, and she had on a gingham dress. That's about the size that they ever got. But they put him through college, and uh, he, he was graduating, and he wanted them to come, and they came in a horse and buggy. Well, there was cars in those days, and they were odd, and people were talking about them around the campus. But when he found them, he took them around and introduced them to all his friends. This is my mom and dad. They paid my way through college. And when he spoke at graduation, he made them stand up. Overalls and all, that's my mom and dad. They paid my way here. She sold eggs and braised this and did that. And she turned to her husband and said, we've raised potatoes and corn, but that's the best crop we ever did raise. Your mom and dad never gets tired of helping you to be better, but don't forget to thank them. And I saw you young people today thanking your mom and dad and all the people around here uh, helping you get through school. Keep that attitude. Praise the Lord. Brother Royer and Sister Royer, good to see you again. Way over there in Uganda, you, you surprised me. I remember little battles you had to get to Uganda. I hope you got it mapped out and put a gate on that thing and tell the rest of the world, don't bug me. Because he really wanted to go to Uganda, and I think God has blessed him. And you're privileged to be part of that. And Brother Garrett went over there and preached for them. I tell you, that's a, to me, that's, that's the heart of Africa. And uh, they love it. I thank God for them. And I appreciate you going. I'll support you, but I don't think I'll be there. <laughs> My going days is getting shorter all the time, brother. Shall we stand? I have, I have thoroughly enjoyed this, brother and sister Garrett. 
it's been my privilege. I have been blessed to be fellowship with Brother Garrett a few days here. And uh, I, I tell you, I can tell a good man. And you've got a good pastor. He's a kind man. I don't know whether he ever rebukes you or not, but if you did, he put sugar on it where you could handle it. And he loves you folks. And I appreciate that. There's nothing better than a church that loves the minister and the minister loves the church. And woe to anybody that messes that up. God will get on to you. Let me just say a few words here and then I'll get into this. I hope and pray the lessons that you'll take and work on them. And you that just heard it and you enjoyed it, uh, that's all you're going to get. But if you'll take it and study it, you personally will be benefited more after I'm gone than while I'm here. Now, we Pentecostals like to enjoy church. Make me feel good, preacher. But I'm here to tell you, we can enjoy church, but if you don't get an interest and desire to know him more than what you know him, you'll be like this next year and maybe be back an inch or two. So I'm trying to stir you up to realize that the God you serve has more to give you than what you know about. I want you to get hungry for him and thirsty for him. I want you to line up to him. I want you to start listening to every word in the scripture when it talks about something. I hope and pray you've got a secret hiding place, you and God. I trust and pray you'll spend time there. And you'll learn how to meditate on his word, learn how to draw nigh to God, learn how to be able to enjoy living for God. I, I want to take this guilt trip off everything. Let's enjoy Jesus. Let's enjoy him. If you've got to repent, do it and get it over with. Let's go to enjoying the Lord. I don't like this long-faced, down-look people. Look up. It looks better than looking down. So I'm thankful for whatever you can get out of this. I trust that God will help you be benefited. Tonight, uh, I'm going to just preach to you tonight. And the reason I want to use this is because I've been, I've been impressed along this line the last few days. And I don't know what it is about my makeup, but when I get on a subject that I really like, it doesn't leave me after I've preached it. I've got to do it some more and dig deeper and all the rest of that. And so... I'm bringing it to you tonight because I feel there's something in here that you can use with what we've taught. If you turn to the book of Second, First Corinthians, third chapter, and the ninth verse. If you have it, say amen. Okay. Look for it. We're going to look at each verse. First Corinthians, third chapter, ninth verse. Amen. Good. For we are laborers together with God. I like that partnership. Let me just say this to you that are in business. When I first went to Napa, I was contracting. Every job I figured, I prayed, now, God, you direct me and help me with this. Because I don't know how to cope with all of this. The whole time I was contracting, I never lost any amount of money. And a lot of people did job that I didn't get, the other guy that took it didn't make it, and I thanked him for it. God had people to give me things out there that just handed it to me. What I'm trying to tell you, brother, if you're in business, if you put God in the middle of that, he'll bless you in many, many ways, and you'll thank him as you see him working. I had a man I was working for, and I said, I, I didn't figure enough on his jobs. He, 
he was building three or four houses all the time. And anyway, I said, God, I need some more money from this man. I went to work Monday morning. And, of course, I was just 27. Then he called me the kid because he was older. He said, kid, I didn't pay you enough. I'm going to raise the bid 10%. Thank you, Jesus. Do you understand what I'm trying to get across? I think we ought to enjoy this. Don't get your enjoyment just out of being in church. Get your enjoyment out of being with Jesus all day. Oh, what a God we serve. We're workers together with him. And then he said, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which he has given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundations can no man lay. Now, what is the foundation? It's Jesus Christ. Please note that. It's Jesus and all that he is is our foundation. Now to any man that builds upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because he shall, be, he shall receive Wait a minute. Back up. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. Now, please note you'll receive a reward for your work. And that'll be separate from God's special uh, crowns he's going to give. For what you are yourself. But he said, If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet is by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seems to be very wise, in this world let him become fools that he might be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness unto God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Thank you, Father, again for this word. We want to hear what you have to tell us. I pray, reveal it in my mind and my heart. Give me words that will make these people be able to learn of you. Teach them your way. Show them the way. And Lord, inspire them with the way. Let them enjoy it. Reveal yourself. May they be able to walk and talk with you fresh and anew like never before. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's say praise the Lord together. God bless you. Give them a good old hand clap and then you can be seated. We're here to glorify you, Jesus. You're our God. You're our deliverer. You're our Savior. You're the King of glory. Thank you for it. Amen. You may be seated. I would like to talk to you, first of all, about what the, a building is and a foundation. A foundation is one of the most important parts of the building. It has to be strong enough to, uphold, to build upon it for whatever height. They dig deep in the ground to put big skyscrapers up. They go down to rock, and they have built a Foundation underneath that the engineers have okayed and give specifications, the steel, the concrete, and all that goes in it, that it can be handled. 
The stress that's put on a building in an earthquake has caused California to begin to make some new what they call earthquake laws. Now you have to do different things. When the freeway collapsed here a few years ago, the man that drew the plan, he said, if I would have known what I know now, it would have taken me 30 minutes to draw the round steel that would have gone around those columns, and it wouldn't have split. What happened was the steel was up and down. That was fine. But when the earthquake came, it split it, and it broke loose from itself. It collapsed. Well, now they're going back with retrofit. They're putting steel around all those columns, pouring them with concrete to make them stand. There was people from all over the world, engineers, architects, came to San Francisco to study what buildings did not fall, which ones stood. And they found the ones that were standing had made provisions for a worse, an earthquake. They put in steel. They tied the buildings to the foundation. They went and made a lot of specifications that cost a lot of money. But the real test of the building is who's left when the shake gets over. And Jesus said he's going to shake everything that can be shaken. So that which remains, you need to examine when the trial comes to the whole church and see who stays. I wonder what they're made of. I wonder about their foundation. I asked them how they overcame I'm here to tell you the winds can blow upon a church, blow upon you, you individually, but there ought to be some inner bracings inside of your spirit and your soul that you not let, not let the devil shake you off of the foundation. God has a foundation made where you can attach yourself to that foundation. There's not a storm nor a wind nor an earthquake that can shake you off of that foundation. It may shake you up, but it won't shake you off because he, he said himself, that he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we're able to ask or think. If you stay on the foundation, you will never, you will never be lost. That's how important it is. There's different ways of measuring things. We have miles. We have, um, what do you call it, center meters. And, and we have uh, different ways of weighing things. And, and all of the different things we use, even values of money, dollars and cents. It all has a measure. It means something in measure. Many people want to know, well, how much money did it cost? Well, that measured out the money for what you paid for that. Well, I want you to recognize there's a measure that God uses. And you've got to understand that he knows how to weigh your spirit. No man can do that. And God can measure your statue in him. He has a secret little way of doing that. There are some things that he measures... Then he tells you how it stacks up, how, how it is. And so when you think of building on this foundation, you've got to keep it straight. The Lord said in the Old Testament, I put a plumb line down beside you, Israel. And when you put a plumb line down from a high-story building, you can see every little curve that's in that building, or either that is straight. My son-in-law works with big construction, high buildings and all of that, and he's a very detailed person, very exacting. He made a change of form that was just a quarter of an inch off. He went in and told the superintendent he didn't like to do that. He said, if he said do it, you do it. He, he is so exacting. Now, I'm not like that. If it looks good between here and there, put it up. But that's not going to pass inspection. 
So what I'm trying to tell you, when you come to living for God, you got to remember there's got to be the inspector come out and read you the code of building a Christian life to where you don't build something that's going to lean over the left side and the higher you get, the further you go down. I'll thank God for a pastor who will preach me the word. Preach me the word. Help me to learn. There are some things we may be asked to do that we wouldn't need to do. But if he's asking for it, let's do it because we want to glorify God. The unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace is worth a lot. When I think about building, I realize that uh, the whole world is building today. This town's gone crazy building. The streets, the buildings, the homes, and all the rest of that. I don't know where the people are coming from. But you're in the middle of a draw of some kind that's bringing people here. You know what that means? The more people, the more responsibility. The more people, we've got to be able to somehow get this gospel to those folks. You can't get them from in here. You've got to get them from out there. Wherever you work, whatever you do. If you get fired off of your job, don't get discouraged. He may have somebody on another job that you need to testify to, and you wouldn't get there without them firing you. Just make up your mind. Thank you, Lord. If they fired me here, you got something better. And don't get down the dumps. There's a difference in faith and your opinion. I've seen fellows get laid off of a job and say, well, I guess we'll starve. That's your opinion. That's not facts. I'm trying to say that a lot of times your opinion, you make it facts. It isn't facts. Sometimes that which disappoints you may be the best thing ever happened in your life if you want to wake up to realize it. Don't ever look down, look up, because God got something better for you. If you're not lazy and you prepare yourself, God will give you a better job and raise your wages. Hallelujah! I believe this is practical. I feel like that you need to realize that he puts the plumb line down and he checks us out. You see, he said, take heed how you build thereon. Now, when the inspector comes out and uh, something is not right, he'll put a red tag on it. It means you got to fix it. And when he comes back, it better be fixed the way he said. The red tag is saying... It's unacceptable, but I'll give you time to fix it. And tonight I want to preach to you about God's red tags. When God puts a red tag on you, it's not to condemn you. It says, fix it before I get back. Do it now. Well, praise the Lord. I want to show you some people in the Bible that God put a red tag on. You need to realize that living for the Lord should be a joy and understand that he's full of grace and mercy. You can go to the throne room any time to ask for that. He doesn't want to lose you. He wants to save you. No backslider is out there thinking that he can't come back to God is believing a lie because God doesn't want to lose him any more than lose you. Some people feel like if I flubbed and made a mistake and I made a fool of my life, that they can't come back to God. I thank God the best thing ever happened at Calvary was the fact that we could have forgiveness. Without that, nothing else will work. But I praise the Lord because he brought forgiveness that we could forgive, be forgiven, and that gives us brand new beginning, and God gives you a chance to fix whatever is wrong. I like that. I have 
in the past preached strong condemnation on people, and I'm not holding back from that. But I'm telling you, this message is not for condemnation. It's for change. It's to make you to know you need to change that. I'm here to tell you that as a Christian, if you can't ever so often adjust your life, you're going to miss the rapture. When they shot that thing off into the sky heading for the moon, I was hearing them on the radio when the first time I began to hear all about them going to the moon. It was so exciting. But there was a time in the radio the man said, at this point, they have to change the attitude of these fellows or they'll miss the moon. It's not a big adjustment, but it's big enough to miss the moon. And many times ours are just little adjustments. Just a little adjustment. But if you don't fix it, the further you go, the far out you get. Then please, don't get discouraged when you get red-tagged. Get serious. Fix it. Change it. The one thing I enjoyed about the inspector in our town, I knew him from years past when I was contracting, and if he had to come out and red-tag anything or tell you what to do with that, he, he would tell you how to do it. He didn't just leave you just mulling around trying to figure out how to do it. He'd say, well, if you do it this way, uh, we can accept it this way. And I appreciated that. And Jesus doesn't come to you and telling you, in other words, you're condemned because this, you believe your old head when it tells you all the negative things. I'm here to tell you we love, we have a loving God. We have a forgiving God. We have a compassionate God. But He is an exacting God. He wants to make those changes and He'll help you to do it. Let's thank Him for it. There's people in the Bible that God red-tagged, and I want you to kind of go along with me, and you'll recognize them as I bring them up to you. Because I feel like that when I go to the house of God, I need to go there making adjustments. And I'd be big, but adjustments. The biggest adjustment we'll all have to make will be with our tongue. It's the most unruly member in our bodies. That's why God chose speaking in tongues to see if he's got you or not. Because that tongue doesn't go under, you're not going to make it. But even if you get the Holy Ghost, if you can't control your tongue, you can lose your soul. The Bible says that. So the tongue is what gets you in trouble. We need to realize that God does not honor us when we get angry and full of wrath and we lash out at somebody. Don't ever call your kids stupid. Don't ever put them down when you try to correct them. God's going to do you the same way. It's awful quiet here, but I don't know. You're not guilty of all of this, I know. You can feel good. I'm not going to hurt you. I just want you to know that God doesn't appreciate us railing on one another. You don't have to be that way. We can be corrected in a good spirit, and we're going to work together to work it out, and we're going to live for God. The next thing that's going to give you red tags is buttoning other people's business of which you have no business. If you're not part of the problem, if you're not part of the, of the answer, don't hear it. I hope you get that. There's a lot of folks who want to know, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Look, you're bringing trouble to yourself that God doesn't give you no help on. That's your fault. And that may get you in more trouble than you expect. And that can make you lose out with God, and he can red-tag you. 
Praise the Lord. I hope you can get that one thing especially. It will be a blessing to you as sure as the world. Gossip is one of the heinous things that destroys families, homes, communities, nations, and a church. If you don't want to be red-tagged on your tongue, then you're going to have to learn to be under control of the Holy Ghost. And the better you know Jesus, the better control you're going to have on it. Have you ever had something that happened sometime in your past and you said, I wish I'd have said this, I wish I'd have said that? You were accumulating all the things you wish you could have said, but you were so scared at the time you didn't think of them. And it was a lot of bad things you wanted to say. And then I've heard people say, boy, I sure put him in his place. But what place did you put yourself? Do you realize that anger and wrath does not work the righteousness of God? I'm telling you, this is practical, friend. This is not going to work. You can shout on Sunday morning, be, at, be up in the air on Monday morning, and, you know, and lose the whole thing. I'm saying we need to get this in our heart, let it live in our hearts next morning, next day, and next year. Living for God is a joy. It's a privilege. And not only that, we can enjoy living for God. Amen. This man was a man that had a great temper before he was called of God. And whatever your nature was, you've got to watch it, friend. You've got to watch it. You've got to take care of that nature. Moses, in his anger, killed a man. And it spoiled, really, everything he had in Egypt. And he fled. Forty years with sheep. Because he was educated for the Egyptians. He was a general in their armies. He was high up. He was next to the Pharaoh. He had everything. He knew all of the arts of the Egyptians. But when he lost his temper, he had to flee. And it took 40 years to get him humble. 40 years to get him humble before God could use him. If you'll humble yourself, don't wait for God to do it. It'll be much easier. Don't ask God to humble you. Hey, you don't know what you're asking for. He said, you humble yourself. It's, that's your job, is to humble yourself. And so when Moses humbled himself, and God spoke to him out of the burning bush, and he said, I've come to deliver these people. And he said, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to ask him to let them go. And he won't let them go. And he sent him back about ten times. And finally, at the last, as you know, they marched out, crossed the Red Sea, and got over there in the wilderness. You see, Egypt is a type of the world. The Red Sea is a type of leaving the world under the hand of God and baptized unto Moses and what have you. But the desert is your desert that you've got to learn to live in by faith before you get to the promised land. And every one of us have to taste the desert. If you're going through the desert, you better be able to worship God and serve the Lord in spite of how, how dry it is. When it gets dry, you start listening to your flesh and your nature if you're not careful. Sin starts to become alluring to you. It'll start to tempt you. But you've got to remember, you're following Jesus into the wilderness by the will of God. That's part of making you. He said, I did that to humble you. I did that also to see if you're going to serve me or no. And then I also did it to be able to prove you in such a way that you love me. And it was, a rough, it was a rough road going through the desert over there. If you go in that part of the world, you'll see how rugged it was. These people had to have a lot of faith to follow Moses like he did. 
Give him some credit. I don't know how we'd empty out this city here and start marching behind a man going through the desert out here in Mojave and all the rest of that places. It'd be pretty hard to take. But God was in it and it worked. But what I'm trying to get you to see is that desert experience was to see if he's going to go through with him or not because the promise that you're going to get the promised land is beyond the wilderness. In the middle of the wilderness, he's a pastor of one of the largest churches we've ever heard about, and he had a terrible, terrible time. I'm telling you, he was so weary of those people. He said, God, they're not mine, they're yours. And God said, no, they're not mine, they're yours. Nobody wanted them. They lived murmuring and complaining and fussing. Everything was a hard thing. Moses got to listen to all their complaints, almost went crazy. And then he got 70 elders to help him, and they couldn't do much with him. They were carnal. They were fleshly. And they were always looking back. And Moses just lost his temper one time. And God put a red tag on him. I want you to see something. God requires more out of preachers than he does other saints. But don't play on that, because I don't know where the line is. I'm just trying to express, uh, talk to you. The more I learn about him, the more he requires of me, because the more you know about him, the more you're required to preach, just like the book says, and so on. And so when Moses got to the place, he was so weary of these people complaining. He, the Lord said, speak to the rock, and he got so angry, he picked up his rod. He said, come on, you rebels, and drink. And when he hit the rock, God gave the water all right, but he said, Moses, you're red-tagged. You're not going in. And Moses tried to get God to change his mind. He said, forget it. You're not going in. Do you realize that sometimes your anger and your fleshly conduct will short-circuit the promise that you're trying to get? You're praying for something that you need from the Lord, and yet your attitude and your spirit could short-circuit that, and God could red-tag you and say, I'm not answering that prayer until your attitude changes. So your spirit changes. Are we still here? Please understand, God doesn't put up with our carnal nature. He doesn't accept our carnal nature. He rebukes our carnal nature. And if you've got to learn how to be humble, you've got to learn how to ask for forgiveness, you've got to learn how to have the Spirit of the Lord to help you to control your tongue when you want to tell somebody off. You will lose the promise you'll get red tagged. Now, I, I, don't, I, I don't know how to, this could work, but I, I know it wouldn't, and I couldn't red tag you. I don't know how to red tag you. I, I'm not the inspector. He is. But if you get enough red tags, he's going to condemn the whole building. If we got a red tag for everything we need to correct, we may come decorated with some red tags. But that doesn't mean that I can't get them fixed. I've seen the inspector go in the house, give you a whole list of things to take care of. It wasn't just one thing. It's probably 10 or 15 things. And you get busy going back. The carpenters call it a punch list. They have a list of all the things that's got to be fixed. And they go after one, two, three, four, five, ten or twenty, thirty pieces of things to do. They got to get people to go in and fix this, fix that, fix the other. And when the inspector comes back, he'll see if it was done right. And he'll write it off and check it off. And you can get the whole building passed. So I'm asking you, don't allow your nature to short-circuit the promises God promised you and wants to give to you, but you missed it. Praise the Lord. I want you to hold on to yourself. Praise the Lord. Now, here comes a little, little advice for the 
husband and wife. You ready? I'm scaring the life out of you people. When I get on that, everybody clams up on me. Looks like they're going to say, well, don't get too close. And uh, I don't know how. I don't know what to do. The Lord said, if you and your wife don't get along, you can hinder your prayers. You had a big fuss. What's wrong with a fuss? Just don't sin. Call it a discussion. Call it trying to understand each other. But don't call each other names. Don't say bad things. Don't bring up something that happened five years ago. You see, if you're going to fight, there's rules to godly fighting. You can discuss and you can differ and you can raise your voice, but you better not get your temperature up. Now, you see, these young couples are going to get married. They think, oh, it's going to be just great and wonderful. And it will be. It will be. But there are always some days. And those days make you look and see we are different. I thank God for the difference. I wouldn't live in a world with a bunch of men. And you ladies wouldn't really wouldn't want to live with a bunch of women. Wouldn't it be terrible? Well, it is, whether you like it or not. God never meant that. Thank God for the way he developed it so that our wives and our husbands can blend together. There are differences. That doesn't mean it's sin. It just means we have differences. We don't understand each other. We don't know how to deal with our problem. Well, get some help on it. But don't get a bad spirit. Get a cold shoulder. Don't speak for a long time. Pout. Murmur and complain. Criticize and give them a cold shoulder. I know I'm hitting somebody because you're not here. You're not all saints all the time. I'm just trying to tell you that that can hinder your prayer life. Now, what can we do with it? Sure, we differ. It'd be boring not to have some differences. Somebody's not thinking if you don't have a difference. God gave her a mind to think different than yours, and sometimes she can help you and you can help her. But I'm trying to get one point across. There is a place that we allow a bad spirit get in our home, and our kids feel it. And they feel that pressure. They feel that tension. That type of situation will hinder your prayers. Well, we'll go on. We need to realize Job, a man that he was, he could defend himself with his, with his, with his friends, but when God got in touch with him, he shut his mouth. I'm telling you, you may look like that you're better than everybody else, or you may find your way to justify yourself, but there's none of us that can come into his presence but what he can put something out there that we need to do. And so when Job got through arguing with his friends, God said, now you stand up. I want to talk to you. I'm going to put you on the scale. And when he got through talking to Job, I mean, Job, he never really had anybody talk like that before. And Job repented. And Job had to pray for the people that made it miserable while he was so in suffering. He has to go pray for those folks. And he told those people that came over and condemned Job for everything, you've got to go back and ask him to pray for you, or I won't hear your prayers. So prayers can be hindered when you don't go back and repent, ask for forgiveness, pray one for the other, and let God 
heal the situation. Amen. Why shouldn't we do that? Your best friends can be better to you. The one that I feel so strong about is, is Isaiah. The Bible said when he saw the Lord. And I feel like if I can help you to see the Scripture, to see Jesus. When we see him as he is, it'll make us see us as he sees us. Don't get discouraged at that. Don't put yourself down with that. Just open your heart to him and tell him, I need you to purge my lips. I want you to purge my lips. Give me the strength to control my tongue. He said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live with people of unclean lips. And I want you to know this. The Lord didn't wait for a week or a month to see if he's going to get cleansed. He cleansed him right then off of the cold of that altar and immediately said, Who will go? He said, Here am I, send me. I'm here to tell you God can clean you up in a moment if you're willing to walk clean, clean and up right after he cleans you up. Don't ever get discouraged at God showing you your need. Don't ever do that. And sometimes we don't see it. And sometimes God's got to give you an enemy to make you see that. Sometimes there's people that criticize you, and, and it's real. I mean, it's true. Brother Cagle, my good friend years ago, Brother Royer knows who he is, was our superintendent for years. He's passed on and gone, but uh, he was getting older, and uh, somebody wrote him a letter. And he read it. He said to his wife, he said, read this letter. In this letter, this person was writing to him and saying, Brother Kegel, you're getting so self-pity about yourself in your preaching. You're just always self-pity, self-pity. And uh, Sister Kegel said, well, Odell, some of this is right. He said, some of it. See, he said, all of it's right. That's what I've got into. You need somebody to tell you. You're getting out here self-pity. Poor me, poor me. And won't everybody come along and, and say, poor me. You know, pity without an answer is no good. Compassion is pity with a solution. And you've got to get somebody to help you not only to be pitiful for what you are, is get you by the hand in the name of Jesus, stand on your feet and be healed. Heal that thing in your life. Get it under the blood. If there's people you resent... There's people you don't like. You need to pray till you love them. Praise the Lord. Yeah. It won't get much better, so you might help me out now. <laughs> the one that really got me, it hit me. Under the church of Ephesus, right, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven candlesticks, golden candlesticks. Now notice this. I know your works. I know your labor. I know how patient you are. I know you can't stand them uh, which are evil. And you have Pride them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. You have born, you've put up with people, you've been patient. In my name, for my name's sake, you've labored, you've not fainted. Now, that was the church. They got pretty good marks, didn't they? But now he tells me, he said, I want you to get on a scale. 
That's your church. That's your works. But he said to me, I want you on the scales. Now, how is he going to weigh me out? I want to tell you something. We'll all be by ourselves on the scale. He said, because while you was trying to maintain that, you really lost your love for me. And I don't like that. And unless you can repent, I'll remove you. Friend, I don't want to be removed. Correct me. Chasten me. But don't let me die like a Balaam. I want to make the rapture. When I saw this, this has made my heart to say, I want to fall in love with him over and over again. When you're in love, you do things different. Human love cannot be compared to divine love. What manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us? You can't go over that and get the depth of it unless you meditate on it for a while because his love is not human love. It's not based on his feelings. It's based on his divine character. He commended his love to us, which means he has said, I love you, and that's it. He loves. He said, love will suffer long and still be kind. That's the kind he said he had. The first part of the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians says that if you had power to be able to remove mountains into the sea, man, they'd paint your picture over the whole world if you had great power. If you understood all prophecies, my, here, these folks go crazy over prophecies. My brother-in-law, my brother and her, his, his wife are, they're Lutherans and they got all excited about LaHaye's books that he has on the rapture. And more, they got more, they said, oh, and I don't know what they're doing to prepare for it. They were talking about the last days, the Antichrist, and all of that. It ought to make you stop and think, how am I going to get out of here? You can't let a church save you. It's Jesus that saves you. It's not the name of your church. It's Jesus' name. All power in heaven and earth is in the one name, Jesus. He said, love me with all your heart, with all your might. The scripture I read at the beginning, he said, everything's going to be tested by fire. I'm trying to fireproof you people. I'm trying to put a fire coat on you. You men have worked in buildings where they put the... the Material that's fireproof. You don't have them in here, I don't think. We're sprinkler systems. He said, everything's going to be tested with fire. Anything that can burn will go. Amen. So please understand this. If you feel the fire, he's burning what needs to be burnt. It may be your pride. It may be lust. It may be anger. Maybe wrath. Maybe hate. Maybe jealousy. Envy. Malice. Strife. All of those things are the works of the flesh. And when God goes to burn that out, don't you bring up what you've been doing for God. Don't brag on all the things you've done for God. That won't work with the Lord. The disciples said, see this big temple that Herod built? And the Lord said, every stone's going to come down. But I'm building a church that won't come down. I'm building a church that I'm going to marry one of these days. Hallelujah. When I think of that, I get to thinking, it's the big joy to the Lord to tell the devil, I got some that you can't get. 
The devil looked you over and he said, give me a chance. And the Lord said, look, you can only go so far with that person. And he won't let the devil get the best of you if you just trust him. See, in the very beginning of time when Adam and Eve was in the garden, there'd already been a split in heaven. And you say, well, the church split. Well, I didn't. I got to feel where I felt like I wasn't feeling so bad that I, I'm the cause of it every time. So I said, well, if God had one in heaven, I can have one here. I just want to be on the right split. The devil was cast out. I kind of think this earth was where he had all of his greatness. Evidently, he's the, he's the choir leader, the worship leader in heaven. He was all of those things. But something got in his heart called pride. And he began to influence all of the singers. Do you realize that they didn't have to practice to sing there? Everything was perfect. Beautiful. He was so charming that he got his eyes on himself. He could sing that choir to where the heavens would ring with sweet, melodious music that you had never heard. He got the feeling like that. Well, you know, I ought to be God. Next thing you know, God said there can't be two gods. There's only one. And you're not it. Michael, kick him out. They said a third of the angels went. Well, God's always worked with what was left anyhow. You want to leave? We'll work with what's left. God's always worked with failures. There's not a prophet, not a disciple, and not one yet that didn't have failures. So don't be discouraged. He can take failures and, and do miracles, changing your life. But what I like about this to me, you see, the devil is illegal to be here. See, it's illegal for him to live here. He's not really part of mankind. Only people that is legal to live on the earth, you have to be born by a woman. You've got to be born here. The devil wasn't born here. He didn't come in the door. He come in the back door of deception. He convinced Eve that she could do this particular thing and... She'd be like God. And when that happened, Adam, now I don't know where he was. I don't know why he didn't interfere. But there he was, and he took it. If he didn't take it, it would have been a different situation. He'd been the only one left again. But he joined her and took death. If you want to put a little shadow on that, Jesus came here and joined you with your sin and became sin for you that he could save you. Oh, hallelujah! Jesus, we worship you. You're a mighty God. You're a loving God. Hallelujah! And when the devil saw he had been able to seduce them, and he sat back and watched what God was going to do. And they're hid. And here comes God walking in the garden. He said, Adam, where are you? Now, God knew where he was, but Adam didn't know where he was. And God comes walking, looking for him. He's hid.
and God walks right up on him. Oh, there you are. What's happened? They begin to tell the story. And what has confused the devil, he can't understand it. He saw the Lord talking to them. He thought that he was going to destroy them now. But instead, he killed a, a lamb. He clothed them. And then he put his arms around both of them and walked them out of the garden and said, I got a plan where I can redeem you back. And that was the beginning of the promises of Calvary. And the devil looked at that and he was so angry. He said, that's not fair. You didn't give me a chance to make it right. See, the devil can't repent. The devil can't be saved. Because he was perfect to start with and we're not. And God gave us leniency because we were made of dirt and dust of the ground. He's saying to all of us, I'm going to take that which is the least thing in the world, and that's called dust. I'm going to make me a human race that's going to love me. And the devil, you couldn't serve me in a heaven with no sin. You couldn't serve me with everything beautiful around you. But I got a people that's going to live for me no matter what you try to do. They're going to live for God. They're going to serve me with all their heart. Hallelujah, Jesus. I'm telling you, folks, this is going to be the greatest day of your life when that rapture takes place. The devil tries to find fault with us. And don't join him in criticizing each other, but don't be a blessing to the devil by doing so. <clears throat> the war is between God and the devil over us. And you've got to learn how to lean on Jesus and trust him. My nature is from the devil. That's how we were born. So I've got to crucify that and take on the nature of my new father, which is Jesus. But I want you to see something to me that's so precious. I believe it's God's desire to have a church. It's going to be a glorious church. It's going to be a holy church. It's going to be His church, His bride. I think when He takes us home to glory, He said, Devil, eat your heart out. Take a look at this. I'm going to marry this church. You wanted to get on my throne, but I'm going to put her on the throne with me. And it's going to be an eternal throne. The devil tried to get there by usurping authority and work behind his back. I want you to know something. God knows how to help have a church in the middle of the devil's fight. And when he gets through, he's going to tell the devil, take a look. You wanted to be up there where I was sitting with me, but you're not. This church is a tried church. This church is a church that suffered. This church have lived for me in spite of all that you've done. And devil, to hell you go. He can never repent. He can never be saved. But you can come to God tonight. If you're lost, backslider, whatever, this altar's still open right now that He can save you tonight and tell the devil to take a hike. You've got to realize this is a real God that I'm talking about. He's not a make-believe God. You can't put Him on your dashboard, but you can put Him in your heart. Would you stand... I don't know who's here, but I think somebody would recognize somewhere tonight, Jesus, I need you. I really do, Jesus. Please talk to my heart. Oh, Lord, talk to us tonight. Please help us, Jesus. We come to you tonight. We're reaching, Lord. We're reaching. Bless this people to reach out after you, Lord.
Anoint them again tonight with the freshness of the Holy Ghost. Touch that heart right now that's nearest eternity. Make them hungry for you tonight. Jesus, talk to us. Talk to us, Lord. Breathe on us with your presence. Hallelujah, Jesus. In Jesus' name, move these folks to you, Lord. Bring them closer to you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I don't know who you may be that needs more from God, but I tell you what, let's move into this altar. Come on in, young people, children. Let's come into this altar tonight. Let God do something for you especially. Make Him to know how much you need Him tonight. Would you mind coming down just to pray for a while? Open your heart. Let God do something special for you. For His glory. Amen. Sing it.